Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi friends, it's Sarah May, and this is an audience Q&A episode for three people. Um, One is about unwanted infatuation, one is about feeling empty and lost, and then one is about needing to be instant best friends. So I'm going to say this is for hijacked with infatuation, lost, and instant bestie. So the first question, I'm just going to... I'm going to just kind of quickly go through it. I'm paraphrasing slightly. The first one is about a person who who went on a date. The date was really good. And then the dude was not into her after that and said like, hey, look, let's not let's not date again. That was fun, though. And now she's kind of stuck on him and can't stop Internet stalking him. I'm disappointed in myself because I feel weak. After only one date, not being able to get him off my mind, I'm stuck on him. On him, Is it because I feel rejected and I want to redeem my pride? I don't know why I care so much. Um, I feel like this is unreasonable because it was only one date, but my brain is acting like we had a relationship. How do I get over him and stop obsessing over him? Okay. Well, infatuation is usually something we get over an impossibility. Like, it's the distance or the lack of control that creates the extreme want. When you can't have it, you get kind of more addicted to it or more clingy. And that's in part because I think part of you is um, afraid of getting hurt. Like, part of you is really into someone that's out of reach. And that's something I think you should examine or just circle just think on it. Let it digest. Don't have to, you might react with like, no, that's not true. But like, just let it marinate in the back of your mind. Um, because usually that makes things more attractive when we can't have them, when they're out of reach, when they're really expensive, when they're elite uh, above us, that's what makes them us perceive value. And when we are a little bit excited about somebody or something like a date, then the removal of that thing makes it even more intense like but I wanted it actually I wanted it it's like when you see somebody's watching something on eBay you're like oh wait I do want it I this is actually way more attractive to me now something to consider um that said I have some specific tools for you so in order to proceed and help yourself I want you to make this into something that is just about you on you like not about them not about this person assume it could be anybody and shift the focus onto yourself every time you start to reach out outward and kind of want to examine this person and what they're thinking and what they feel and why do I like them it's just turn it back into yourself and look at you look at why am I what am I trying to avoid by focusing outwards what am I feeling inside that's making me um cling so desperately what is making me feel Like, I need this person that actually I know rationally is not who I want because they're not, they don't covet me. Also, to ask yourself, 
How am I creating somebody who does not exist? And why am I unable to confront that reality? Like, you really don't know the person. And part of the person is not good because obviously they're like, see ya. So you're, part of your brain is completing a personality for them that's idealized, that's not true. So I want you to think about that part. Like, what values and what traits am I creating for this person? Why am I creating such an ideal personality for them? Is it because I really like the idea of being with somebody like this? Because I feel like that complements my personality? Because, like, whatever archetype you've manifested in this person is in you. It's inside of you. It's not, you can't know somebody that well that quickly. So we, everyone does that. Everyone creates kind of like, I call it the idealization bubble. We create uh, the shape of somebody filling in the blanks with whatever we want them to be. And then slowly about a year and a half, reality sinks in and we're like, oh, but you're not that, but you're supposed to be that. But why aren't you that? So something in you has created a very unrealistic um, ideal. So um, that's a couple questions to ask yourself. Next, I have a tool I'm going to call reality checks. So this is an exercise for you to look at what you want to see versus what is. So for example, he's not trying to be with you, and therefore this would not be a fantastic relationship. And that is... A, real, a reality versus something in your mind that is not matched up with that. So I want you to make a list of the things you love about him and then check to see how any of those things is in part created in your mind and not, and not in fact, part of objective reality. So um, let's say you make a list of, like, he is so... Um, I don't know, attentive and invested or something like that, then you'd say, like, that's my brain perceiving that because he's not. Like him liking your, your posts on social media is, I would say, kind of like a little bit of a mixed message. I feel like that's a little bit fucked up to do, actually, if he's if you guys went on one date. That's like leading you on. So that that would be something that maybe your brain is telling you, like, see, he likes me and he's attentive. But the message is saying the opposite of what his words said. So the actions themselves objectively are not attentive and invested. They're confusing. That's kind of like a not cool move to make. So think on that for a bit. Next tool I'm going to call crush meter. So I would say look at past crushes and see if you had similar intense feelings for somebody that you've discovered later was pretty lame or you kind of got over it like a, a cold. So I want you to just look at the beginning and how you remember how you felt at the beginning and then now look at how you feel now and just examine the contrast from start to finish. Because when you really love somebody, it's not going to be like that. It's when a crush, when you get an intense crush, it's usually with the idea of somebody and most of it's chemical. It's not actually knowing their personality and really appreciating that, appreciating that personality. So I'd say like, remember that this has happened to you before. 
I'm assuming it's happened to you before. And if it hasn't, this tool's useless for you. Okay, next tool is a journal exercise. And this is kind of to do a little bit of reflection on yourself. Um, I'm going to call it look for the patterns. So this might be not true, but I want I just wanted to throw it out there. I want you to journal about have you had this longing in yourself before for like a perfect X, a perfect Y, a perfect blank. Like, do you have experiences early on in your life that maybe made you feel like things had to be perfect or things that made you only want to see the good in somebody else? For example, maybe you had inconsistent caregivers or maybe you had um, the near loss of a loved one or the loss of a loved one or something made it feel like you had a tenuous um, relationship with something consistent in your life. Maybe you had to move really young. Maybe you changed schools. Maybe you had an emotionally distant parent. Um, I would say in this case, it's look for something that has to do with a father figure. There's something that could be something in your past that made you not focus on yourself and made you instead focus on how somebody else felt and kind of distance distance your focus away from how you were feeling inside and, and somebody doing things for you and instead made you focus on how somebody else thought and made you really, really invested in making them love you. So usually that's a parent that made us try really hard. Um, or some circumstance that made us feel like we had to work really hard to be loved. Maybe you had, maybe you're like the youngest of, or the middle of like five siblings, something like that. Just food for that. If one of those rang a bell, maybe uh, talk to your therapist about it if you have a therapist. Okay, the next one is a tool called What You Wish For. You know how people say, be careful what you wish for. This is just called what you wish for. So I want you to imagine that this person you're infatuated with was acting the opposite way. Like do a very long mental visualization where he is actually so obsessed with you and so like just over kind of overbearing, texting you constantly. He's like, hey, I want to get married. You're the one for me. I love you. Let's move in together. Just really visualize that happening and how you might feel. If he showed up on your doorstep right today and was like, let's get married. Let's do it. I want to have babies with you. You're the one for me. I'm guessing you might be like, Eh, I don't know. I don't think I'm really, I don't know. Wow. Oof. Like it, it might turn you off because part of, I think the appeal is the out of reachness and that makes this feel really like the perfect thing you didn't get. Because often when somebody is really totally there and totally ready to be with you and in your face, it's like, it's actually kind of scary and it's not what you want at all. So just something to consider in yourself. Are, your, are you idealizing a situation that is not actually what you want for yourself? Because usually when we're attracted to people that are out of reach, it's because we're not actually ready to be in an intimate relationship. Some part of us is not, doesn't feel comfortable with that yet. We don't want to be seen fully. We're not fully baked yet. So it's like it feels really awesome when you know it's safely out of distance. 
Okay, the next tool, I've given this one many before, many times before, but I really want you to try this. It's the love list. I don't know if you already have done this, but I want you to write a list of everything you want in somebody else. And including all of the values that you hold to be the most important. For example, someone who is attentive and loyal and trustworthy and totally into me. Somebody who would never break my heart, never walk away, never give up on me. Um, Somebody who sees the best in me. Those should be all on the top of the list. You have to be a core part of it. How do you want to be treated by this other person? You can also include stuff like has to have brown hair, be six feet tall, whatever it is, all the superficial stuff. But be clear and think about the values you want in another partner because it shouldn't be enough that someone is cool and dresses well and funny. And I think there's just there are some really important priorities that are not being focused on. It's it's almost like you forgot to consider them or they're not top of mind. I had to go through this process in order to really know what I'm supposed to be looking for. Otherwise, you're just like looking for somebody you kind of have chemistry with or you click with. Um, so maybe that's because you're afraid of asking for what you want. I know I was. It's like then all of a sudden you feel liable like, well, what if I don't get it? And that means I have to try harder and maybe I'm not good enough to get that. It forces you to like look at yourself in a different way. So I would say it's a common self-protective move to not ask for everything we want and not look for everything we want. So write your love list, and then next time you go on a date, focus solely on how he treats you and how he demonstrates he likes you and shows love and care for you. And that is the deciding factor. That should be the top of your list. How do I feel about how he is acting towards me? Do I like it? Is he attentive? Is he looking around the room? Is he super into me? When does he call me next? When does he text me next? Those are all really important factors. So my next question is for empty and lost. So this is, okay, this I'll, I'll paraphrase, paraphrase this one as well. So it's how to work through that feeling of being empty and lost because uh, I feel like I've lost anything that makes me me and I feel like I'm not that interesting or like I'm so empty And that people will realize that I'm an empty shell. Well, this, first of all, um, when you're in that state, I'm assuming something really terrible just happened to you. Maybe somebody broke your heart. Maybe you lost somebody. Um, It sounds like somebody did a number on you. So I would say there is um, a, a metaphor. I was just listening to a podcast with Jordan E. Peterson. And Russell Brand. It's Russell Brand's podcast. It's a really good episode, actually, even if you hate Russell Brand. Um, so this is, there's a metaphor for life. But basically, we need to become a shell. We need to die and be reborn again, again and again. That's how we kind of grow who we are. It's an essential process in life to be kind of leveled and then figure your shit out again. So this is a stage in your life. It's not the sum of it. And know that you can't believe this is where things will stay. This is just the base of the mountain, so to speak. And it'll take time and know that you cannot see the other side from here. It's just a chemical thing. that The state of mind that you're in currently is blocking you in a, in a literal way from actually seeing all that exists beyond this mood. 
which is there's a lot of greatness in your life and there's there are a lot of positives, but it's really hard to know what they are when you feel this way. So first and foremost, do not judge your life from this stage right now. It's like looking down at your feet instead of staring straight ahead and walking. So I would say it sounds like you're probably suffering from depression or maybe you're just in the shell shock of somebody really taking your yourself away from you, like robbing you of a kind of happy, safe state in your life. And that's probably why you feel like you have nothing to give because you're in a recovery stage. And that is totally logical. If you've been destroyed by someone or something, that is how everyone feels. And it's a really common belief to have that like your soul or your spirit has been taken away by that thing. A lot of people think after something really bad happens to them, I think that I was destroyed by this or I'm worried this will take away who I am. Like we all think that. So know that that's not true. It's just how it feels to be in the wake of a, an intense trauma. And you, you will never be destroyed. That is not the case. No one can take you away from you. You will, if anything, can be robbed of a certain innocence. Absolutely. But that is just a, a stage or a step in this kind of cycle of regeneration. And if you haven't been through a trauma recently or someone hasn't destroyed you in some way then i would say it sounds like you're you're chemically depressed either way you're in a false reality um and there exists currently in your life like even though you can't probably perceive it right now people who love you people who appreciate you and good things that can be savored and enjoyed you're just in the shade right now, but there is sun ahead. So don't judge your emotional state um, as a character character trait. Like right now you're defining yourself as a shell, but that's how you feel. It's not who you are. It sounds like, you know, a state of mourning. That's how we feel when we're mourning. It's like we have nothing to give. We have nothing to offer. But I believe you need time and space to just recuperate. And I, if you're not in the after effects of a trauma like a breakup, then I believe you probably have clinical depression and you should see a doctor. Because these are not the words of you. They are the words of your heavy, heavy feelings. So with that, I have a couple tools for you. The first one I'm calling usual suspects. And this is a daily checklist. So I want you to do a couple of things. First, as a first step. I want you to look at what time you wake up every morning. Basically, if you're waking up at the same time every morning, make a note of it. If you're not, that says something that maybe something's disrupting your sleep. That has a huge effect on your bar for just functioning. If you're getting enough sleep and if your circadian rhythms are even. So check that out. Are you waking up at the same time every day? If not, that is your first step. Fix your sleep whatever it is. If you've got to start some meds or if you've got to go to bed earlier, whatever it is. Second, I want you to look at the book, The Depression Cure. I'll put a link in the show notes. Start taking fish oils. So this is a really helpful just first step before taking meds. This is a great first step for alleviating depression. 
I take the brand Nordic Naturals. I think that's what it's called. I'll also put a link to that in the show notes. Next, I want you to examine your posture right in this very moment. Just reposition your body. Is your Are your shoulders concave? Is your back straight up and down? I want you to just continuously check on this and, and straighten your back and actually push your chest out. Arch your back. Because when you are hunched and when you're kind of, uh, I guess, in a self-protective position physically, it sends messages to your nervous system to release different chemicals. So when you have your back straight and your head level, it actually helps improve your mood and also your sense of confidence. So alter your physical body right now if it is hunched over. Last, I want you to examine your breakfast. What are you eating for breakfast each day and how long after you wake up do you wait to eat breakfast? Whatever you do, I want you to eat much sooner after you wake up and I want you to eat something with higher fat and no sugar. So maybe it's full fat cottage cheese and uh, maybe you're not having caffeine and maybe you're cutting out any sweets you have in the morning. So those are the first steps I want you to take. That's just the first place I would look based on what your mood sounds like. Second tool I have is a mantra. I've given this one before because it's very important. Happy equals rational. Whenever you get into a state of feeling like, oh, I have nothing to offer, my life is terrible, this is the reality, I want you to remind yourself when you are happy, that is when you are actually the most rational and the most capable of seeing life for what it really is. So when you are not happy, which it sounds like you're not, that's when you'll only see everything colored with gray. Like, this is hopeless. My future's hopeless. You, you're limited by that mood. So don't judge things like people's opinions of you or what you have to offer when you're not in a level chemical state. First things first, you've got to address the, the chemical imbalance. Happy equals rational. Next tool for you, um, the lily pad exercise. I've given this a couple of times. There is a podcast that is uh, all about this. But quite simply, I want you to look at what you have currently in your life to that makes up who you are. Think about it like a little pond, and there are lily pads that have to fill up the surface of that pond. You have to have enough of them. There can't be like two big ones. There can't be like my partner and my job, because if one of those goes away, you go away with it. You need to have at least, I would say, at very minimum four, preferably five, preferably more than that. But I, if you don't have that currently, if you don't have things that like define who you are, you need to start to grow them. So start by just um, dedicating more energy and focus to things to split up some of what you identify as you so that there, there's more to keep you afloat. Because if you invest too heavily in, let's say, my appearance, then if, you're, if the scale number goes up, then you're like, I'm nothing. I'm devastated. Like, it takes you down with it. So you can't be all defined by your relationship. You can't be all defined by your body. You can't be all defined by your career. You have to keep a balance 
and maintain it. So make a list of things that you can add to your pond, little lily pads. Maybe one is, I'm going to get a pet. I'm going to be a pet owner. Maybe one of them is, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be, um, whatever, a benevolent horse caregiver, whatever you want to do for volunteer work. Um, maybe you're going to be, you're going to get into yoga. You have to actually deliberately create them and then you have to put energy into them and eventually they will become true for you and you'll feel like they're, they're actual authentic parts of you. At the beginning they won't and it'll feel like you're forcing it. That's just part of, of how this works. And I know it's harder even more so when you're depressed, but I want you to go through this exercise and actually deliberately push yourself to spend time and energy in new areas of your life. Even if one of them is like, I'm a daughter, you're going to spend time with your parent or whatever. All of think, think in, an, in as many different facets as you can for this list. Also listen to the Lily Pad episode, the podcast episode. Um, I'll try and put a link to that as well. The next tool I have is called Role Models. So this is a great one when you are in a very fragile state and you feel like you don't ha- figure, you don't know who you are at the moment. I've done this myself in a very fragile state when I was like, I don't, post devastation, I don't know who I am and I don't know what makes up my life. It's like when everything's taken away from you, what do you do? You have to start rebuilding by acting as if. And a great way to do that is to mirror somebody else who you know, who's bubbly and gregarious and confident, any positive things that you want in your life. Even if it's a person you don't know that well, I want you to act like them. Pick a role model and literally pretend you are them, but it's you, but you have the same name. So take notes about what they do, dress like them, embody their energy as much as possible, do activities as though you are them. And this is like just a cheat for while you are in an incubation stage. And it just helps you go through the motions of a a happy, healthy emotionally regulated person, even when you don't feel that way inside. Eventually it becomes true for you. It just helps you heal a whole lot faster. The next tool I have is a best self-reflection. So this is something you do in your journal. And this is meant to be fun. Um, It might be tough when you're in like a depressed state, but I want you to do it anyway and treat it like a creative writing exercise. And make it accurate to who you are as a person, not like it's totally, completely fantastical or totally disconnected from who you are. It's about forcing yourself to kind of visualize a future, even if you're you're guessing. So don't put too much pressure on yourself. I just want you to write in your journal a version of your life story in the future that is a positive one. What does the future look like with you taking care of yourself? With you doing all you need to do to make sure you are cared for, that you are successful, that you are happy, that you are balanced, what are all the steps that you need to take, and what does that future look like? And I want you to see yourself succeeding. So this has to be a positive story. And I I want you to include all the things that you want for yourself. And I want you to also write it in present tense. So, for example... I'm married, I have two kids, my husband is very trustworthy, I work at X job making X amount of money at X title, 
I do yoga five times a week. I have a therapist I love who has helped me grow much of myself. I see her twice a month just to check in. I have a thriving online jewelry business. I have drinks with my friends every Friday night. I am confident. I'm happy. I'm well-dressed. I vacation in Sonoma with my husband and our best friends, etc. Do this exercise and try and have fun with it. I think it's a very valuable one. Okay, the next um, question. So moving on to the third question. This is for instant besties. So I'm going to read quickly through the question. Probably paraphrase part of it. I'm struggling with the need to be liked by everyone. I have a need for people to like me instantly. I want the friendship to get to a certain level quickly. And I keep running into the same situation where I obsess about becoming someone's best friend and I overdo it. I ask them to hang out. I text them too much. And then inevitably they reject me. I also overshare. And I think that has something to do with my lack of boundaries. Maybe that's because I get confused and I use vulnerability as a way to force closeness. I want tools on how to think before I speak and how to not get so upset when I can't or someone to like me as much as I like them. Okay, well, it sounds to me like you are very self-aware and you totally get what is happening to you, which tells me that it's a lack of control in the moment um, to align with what you know are your, your highest instincts. So something else is driving you, which tells me it's likely fear and anxiety, which tells me you're likely intensely vulnerable and that stresses you out and it makes it really hard for you to be present and just experience your relationships. When you said it's uh, not being able to force someone to like you as much as you like them, that sounds like you're creating a lot of the scenario in your mind. Like you're not actually even getting to know the person. You're not allowing yourself the gift of, of seeing them as they are. You're actually inserting yourself in it and controlling the situation. And, um, you're creating something higher than what they are. And you're, you're creating an ideal. And that is a, a tendency of people who have, um, black and white thinking that putting someone higher than yourself and distancing somebody from yourself in that process is a very old habit. That's uh, something that I think that come, probably comes from childhood. And that is because we tend to reset things in our life so that they match the role that we feel most comfortable and familiar with. That's where we know what's what. So to be confident, to be in their position, and to be the really, um, you know, cool, hot, heightened, untouchable one, that feels really scary if we are put in that role. So imagine if somebody put that, put you in that role where they put you on a pedestal and treated you like you were so cool and they wanted to get you to know you so badly. That would probably make you feel really uncomfortable. That might make you feel like, I don't want this much attention. So usually what happens is we, we put people on a pedestal and we like to be the one that's trying really hard because that's when the focus is on them, not on us. And that's also when we feel the safest and the most in control. So when we're in that state of constantly trying to trying too hard to control others or earn others, that's just because we have an, a very deep down unseen belief 
that we have to do that for people to like us. It's like it starts from supposition that we are not good enough and that we have to work hard for others to like us. And that is a false truth that's operating from deep within. It's kind of this intense insecurity and it creates intense vulnerability in the face of strangers that we don't know and we really want them to like us. So it's not about, and what I'm guessing is, it's not about needing this other person or these other people to like you instantly. It sounds like it's more about feeling really uncomfortable with a lack of control and that you have severe anxiety that inhibits your ability to just meet others and get to know others. And when you are putting them on a pedestal, putting on like a shine on them that doesn't exist, that's when you separate from the other person. That's when it's, it changes from reality into something that's happening in your mind. It's a method of self-protection because you're putting them on, it creates like a hierarchy. You're putting them higher and then you're putting yourself lower. So often people who do this, um, as I said, are black and white thinkers. And we think in terms of, I'm nothing, they're everything. Or this is always going to happen. Or I can never blank. So I want you to just first ask yourself if you have thoughts like that or narratives like that that operate inside of you. Things are always going to be blank. When you start to do that, you're removing yourself from the experience and you're making it what you want it to be or what, not what you want it to be, what you're used to it being in your mind. It's like reshaping reality. So the first tool I have for you is called knock over the pedestal. So I want you to ask yourself in the moment when next time you meet somebody and you're starting to get that fear where you're like, oh, I have to try harder. They're not going to like me. I want you to ask yourself, am I pedestaling? Are you removing and separating yourself from others by placing them higher than? That's how you stop participating in what's really happening and you start to make it into a narrative in your mind. So I want you to refrain from just that process. As soon as you start to idealize them or start to put a shine on them, just knock over the pedestal. Your job is just to witness them. It's just to get to know them and have that experience so that you can choose whether or not you do like them for real. Because I think you're actually making them better in your mind than they probably are in reality. And even if you're not, it's a joy in life to get to know a new friend and in the process of pedestaling, you're actually, you're removing the fun part from yourself, which I'm sure you know, but it's probably hard to do in the moment. So the next tool I have is called take off the doll dress. So this is a visualization for you in the moment. Um, when you're starting to control others or put a frame around them or put them on a pedestal, you're, you're actually putting them in a role. You're casting them in a role and you're putting like Barbie clothes on them and then maybe you're putting Ken clothes on yourself or whatever. Um, So in other words, that's not cool. They're not a doll. They're a regular human being. In In that moment, remind yourself to be respectful of their energy and of who they really are and don't force them to wear any outfit. Just allow them to exist as they are. Remind yourself I am, I'm robbing myself of the opportunity to get to know them as they are. I'm dressing them up in doll clothes and I'm being controlling. I'm trying to make people play certain roles by oversharing and by 
forcing closeness and playing dolls. So allow others to have the autonomy to get to know you on their own time. Let it organically unfold. Don't speed it up. Don't push them to be at a certain step before they're there. So this is more about just a gentle reminder to help you in the moment that it's occurring. Ask yourself just to step back, allow them to reveal themselves to you naturally on their own time. So the next tool I have for you is a mindfulness practice, just mindfulness moments. So I want you to set an alarm for twice a day and basically do five minutes of breathing exercises. Because I think you're struggling with the ability to step back from the anxiety. And so just a meditation practice, a really short one, will help with that baseline of anxiety that you're currently experiencing. So start whatever it is, start a mindfulness practice every single day and just practice sitting with whatever silence might be. And that is something I want you to employ when you're hanging out with people as well. Because to be silent, to not force them to be to you know, be in a certain stage with you, that is a sign of respect. That's a sign of confidence as well. So remind yourself you're practicing the ability to be still so that you have that muscle in the moment you're probably really triggered and wanting to control a relationship with somebody. The next tool I have for you, I'm calling question machine. So this is just a cheat. Next time you're hanging out with somebody new, and you're worried you're going to do what you do and like start trying to control them and force intimacy. As a rule for yourself, just ask them questions. Don't just self-disclose. Don't talk about yourself. Just ask about them from now on in all your interactions. And that's just to get your head out of the me focus and into something that might force you to be present and, and listen to them. Hope that makes sense. The next tool I have, um, I want you to, okay, this is just the same kind of thing, but I, I want you to digest. So this is, the tool is chew an extra 10 times. I want you to be as present as possible and examine what others say, reflect on it, and chew it fully. So when people are talking to you, imagine yourself chewing on everything that, all the feedback you're getting. And you have to chew 10 times before you're allowed to respond. So that is basically just aggressively listen. This is something for you to practice. Being the best listener you can possibly be. And that might help combat some of the issues you're struggling with. Because when we're attempting to control others, we're usually in our head and we're waiting for what we need to say or do versus thoughtfully taking in what others are saying. Okay, and the last tool I have for you is called the friendly vampire. So vampires can't enter a space unless they're invited in. The same goes for conversations for you. So in other words, do not answer unless asked. You're not allowed to answer any question unless somebody asks you about it. Don't, don't volunteer anything about yourself. See how you can practice allowing the narrative to unfold without controlling it. Think of yourself as a, vampire, a friendly vampire and you're having vampire conversations, meaning you cannot divulge something unless explicitly asked. And 
you know yourself to overshare, and that's just a, a means of forceful conversation. It's pushing people to be somewhere without them choosing to go there. And it doesn't feel organic to conversations, I'm sure. So last little tip I wanted to give you was for the, um, I guess, over-texting or clinging. Texting and that stuff comes down to habits. So if you can set up something where you, you turn your phone off in the moments that you know you're going to be vulnerable to oversharing, or you, I would download Boomerang. I don't know if you're emailing these people. But boomerang just basically delays all of your emails. So you could set it for two days from now, and then it'll stop you from emailing too many times because then you can actually delete them before they reach their inbox. So I would look at whatever your text habits are currently. If you're like texting them as soon as you've hung out and you know that's your habit, circle that timeline and know like these are my vulnerable stages. I'm going to have my phone off, I'm going to have it locked in my house, I'm not going to have it with me. Um, I do think those things are really, they do come down to just habits. So I hope those help. And before I close, I just want to thank my latest sponsors, Margot and Stella. Thank you both so much. You have amazingly generous donations. I'm so, so grateful. And anyone out there, if you have the means, donations help this show happen. And I really appreciate all of you who donate monthly. You make my day every time I open my email. And um, if anyone has any requests, absolutely contact me on the website at yaywithme.com. And uh, if anyone has time, a review on iTunes helps me immensely, or even just a rating on iTunes. So I hope these help you guys. And if they don't, let me know. Um, and I'll try and do a little tack on to the next episode if you have other questions. So don't forget to smile.